Amen. Well, this morning is you're seated. If you have your Bible, take it out. You read God's word on your phone or any type of device, take that out, whatever it is. And this morning, I'm just going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're just going to continue our study in the book of Luke. And we're just walking through the book of Luke verse by verse, just seeing what God wants to speak into our heart. And this morning, we're going to look at a phrase, a passage at the end of Luke chapter 10 that God really used in my life this week. And I'm praying that he uses it in yours as well. Before we go to Luke chapter 10, we are going to quote Matthew 5, because as a church, what we are doing is we're memorizing the Sermon on the Mount together. And what we're doing each week as we come in, we're just quoting two verses of Scripture every week, hopefully the two verses that you learn, so that's pretty easy for all of us. We can all memorize a little bit, so I'm just asking you to memorize two verses of Scripture each week. So this week we're on Matthew 5 and we've come to verses 5 and 6. So what we're going to do, I'm not putting them on the screen. I'm going to make you quote them from memory. And I'm just going to say them and you're going to say them with me. Not after me, but you're going to say them with me. And the version that we are going through, I am learning, I hope you are learning too, out of the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's what I preach out of. And that's just a modern day translation that uses words much like ours. And that's why we're using that version of the Bible. So are you ready? Well, that was pathetic. Are you ready? I hope you're ready. Well, here it goes. Matthew 5, 5. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. So that's Matthew 5, verses 5 and 6. We'll move on to verses in 7 and 8 next week. And next week, we might start with 1 and go all the way through 8. You never know. So catch up on verses 1 through 8, and we'll just memorize this together. And I know God will use this for his glory, but he'll use it for our good because he'll use it in our life as we hide Scripture in our heart to change us. And I know that every person in here memorizes differently. Your mind works different. And some of you, I think, probably in your heart say, well, I can't memorize Scripture, so I'm not going to try. Well, I guarantee you, if you will work at memorizing Scripture, you can memorize Scripture. Amen? I don't care. You can. Amen. You can say amen or not, but you can do it. And here's how I know. I guarantee you can. What if I said tonight, for every person that comes back and memorizes Scripture, I will give you $100 for every word that you can quote tonight. How many of you would go home with your Bible and you would memorize Scripture? Raise your hand if you would do that. Now, don't lie in church. How many of you would do that? If I give you $100 a word, you would come back memorizing Scripture. Yeah, you're lying if you say not. But here's what I know. That was a trick question. Because later on, guess where? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. You cannot love both God and money. You either love one and hate the other. You either desire one, despise the other. And here's what I know for most of us, if not all of us in this room. We like money, amen? And we like the things it can buy. But there are very few of us who truly love and like the Word of God. So this morning, we're going to talk about your love or lack thereof for the Word of God. So we're going to do that in Luke chapter 10. A few years ago, and I don't even remember where we were going, but Paige and I were in the car, and we were driving down the interstate going somewhere on a long trip, and Paige was just talking 90 to nothing. So I was driving, she was sitting there, and she was just talking. And I was acting like I was listening. I was going, yeah, uh uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, and she had never done this before, she asked me a question that made my blood pressure spike because she said, what did I just say? 
And I didn't have a clue what she just said. I didn't. I mean, I couldn't have said in a million years what she just said. But I wasn't going to tell her I didn't know what she just said. So I acted like I knew what she said. And I went, well, um, you know what you said? And she said, I know what I said, but do you know what I said? And I didn't know what she said. I didn't have a stinking, far-fetched idea in the world what she said. But I'd be willing to bet most of us in this room are just like me. Because I'd be willing to bet if you pick up your Bible tomorrow morning or whenever you read your Bible and you read your Bible and then God was to ask you the question, what did I just say? Most of you would be just like me sitting in that car and you would go, uh, 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 and you don't know. So this morning we're just going to talk about the Word of God. So I'm just going to read a story out of Luke chapter 10 that for me anyway almost seems out of place. It just doesn't fit for me in the context that we have been reading in Luke chapter 10. But one of the things I love about going through a book like this, just verse by verse, is I can't skip over this. And most of the time, I would just skip over this because I really didn't think it applied to me. I have never preached this text in my life. I've maybe used an illustration, I don't know, but I've never preached it. But this week, since we're going through the book of Luke, I read it, and God hit me right between the eyes with this text because it did apply to me, and it applies to you. And it's very simple. There's nothing hard or even theological about it. It's just a text that applies to your life and mine. So look there if you have your Bible. We're going to start reading in verse 38. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on the screen. But this is what God says. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem... They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. I just want to stop right there for a minute because I just want to reiterate this point because we've talked about it the last several weeks all the way since we were in Luke 9. In Luke 9, 51, there's a verse of scripture there where the whole tone of the book of Luke changes. And all it says in Luke 9, 51 is that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. And it just seems like an obscure verse that doesn't mean anything to us. But it meant everything to Jesus Christ. Because what it meant when he set his face towards Jerusalem, it meant he set his face towards the cross. He was headed towards the cross. And this is just in the latter months of his life here in Luke chapter 10. He does not have long to live. And he knows Jerusalem is the cross and he is going to Jerusalem. And he comes to a place, a place called Bethany here in Luke chapter 10. It is a village just a few miles from Jerusalem. And now he is going around Jerusalem, the villages around Jerusalem. And he's preaching and he's teaching. But his tone has changed. Now he is much more direct in what he says. He is not performing miracles like he performed earlier in his ministry. The crowds are not following him because they just wanted to see him perform a miracle and get a blessing for him. But now he's saying some very difficult things to you and to me, his followers. So the crowds are shrinking and what he's saying is very hard. And so he comes somewhere on this journey to Bethany, to the house of Mary and Martha. This is the sisters of Lazarus who later he will raise from the dead. And all he's doing is going there to have a meal. That's what he's doing. So verse 39. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister sits here while I'm doing all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, You are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. 
Now, one thing you need to know before we go on is this story is about Mary and Martha. And both Mary and Martha love Jesus Christ. It is evident if you read the Gospels. They are followers of Jesus Christ and they love Jesus Christ. But not only do they love Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ loves them. Because if you go later on and read the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, you can see just how much Jesus loves them and how much he cares for Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. He is close to them. And so they come to this home to eat because he is friends and they are his disciples and they want to show their love for Jesus. So they prepare a big meal for him. And guess who's doing all the work? Martha is doing all the work. Now, when we say a big meal, she's probably preparing a meal for 20 or so people. We know the disciples are probably there. That's 12 guys. Jesus is there. That's 13. Mary and Martha would be another two. Lazarus would be someone else. Maybe there's other neighbors and followers of Jesus. So we don't know how many she's preparing a meal for, but she's preparing her best recipes, and she's worried if she has enough seats in the house, if she has enough forks and spoons to serve them. She's worried about all these things. What would happen if Jesus came to your house for dinner tonight? Would it change some of the things about your house? Of course it would. You would clean your house. You would prepare the best food you knew how to clean. You would do exactly what Martha is doing. But all of a sudden, Martha's sitting in that kitchen and she starts thinking and she starts looking around and she's by herself and it starts to tick her off. And just like you, she gets a little mad. So she comes out and the Bible says there she came to Jesus, but that's not what the word in Greek really means. It means she exploded out of that kitchen. It meant she was mad. She was hot. And she asked Jesus a question she does not want an answer to. It's a rhetorical question if you read the tone of her text. Jesus, do you even care? That my sister ain't helping me in that kitchen. That's what she says. And then she gives Jesus a command. Tell her to get in there and help me. Now the response she gets is not the response she wants. Because Jesus tells her. Martha. Do you not understand. What the most important thing is. And in reality she did not understand. Just like most of us in this room don't understand. So this morning in this text, all I'm going to do is look at two words. Two words that hit me this week as I read it. And it's two words, I think, that if we understood them would change our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. The first word is in verse 40. And it's a word that describes Martha and describes most of us. And the word is just distracted. Look at verse 40 again. It says, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. That one word that describes almost every person in this room is distraction. And if there is one thing that Satan wants to do in your life and in mine, he wants to distract us. And guess what? It is as easy as taking candy from a baby. Because in the context in we live, we are all distracted. Think about your life just tomorrow. Tomorrow you get up. Think about all the things that will distract you. Think about your job. Think about your drive to work. Think about your family, as good as your family is. And God blesses you with a family. Your family distracts you. Think about the phone in your hand. Think about the television on your wall. Think about everything in your life that distracts you. I could stand here all day long and name distractions in my life, much less yours. And what happened to Martha is that she was distracted. And because she was distracted, it was not only hindering her from coming to Jesus, it was destroying her life. Later on in this text, Jesus says, Martha, why are you so worried? That word means strangled. She says, why are you so upset? That word means that she was carrying a burden. 
Why? And you know why she was? Because she was serving Jesus. That word where it says she was preparing a meal, that word is not translated good. That word in Greek is dekoinos. It's the word we get deacon from in Acts chapter 6. We have deacons in our church. And deacons, all that word deacon means is servant. She was literally serving Jesus Christ. That's what she was doing. But in her service of the Lord, she didn't even see the Lord himself. Because she was distracted. And what Jesus was telling her is, Martha, you are divided. You are distracted. And it is killing you. And if there's one description of us as followers of Jesus Christ in our culture in the United States, it is that we are distracted. Listen to what this verse says in 1 John. 1 John 2, verse 15. The Bible says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers you only cravings for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. What John is saying there in 1 John is anyone who loves the things of this world or all the things of this world offer and your desire and your thrust and your drive is to get the things of this world. If you have that desire and that love, then the Bible says the love of God cannot be in you. Why? Because those two things cannot coexist. This world and the pleasures of this world and the attitudes and the thoughts Everything in this world is designed to do one thing, and that is to keep you from God or to draw you or to pull you away from God. This world and the things of God cannot coexist. And I fear that so many professing Christians are struggling with this every day of their life. And so many professing Christians love the things of this world so much because they love the things of God so little. One of the saddest verses in all the Bible is in 1 Kings chapter 18. And you probably know the back end of this story. 1 Kings 18 is where Elijah stands on top of Mount Carmel and he calls down or he prays down fire from heaven to reveal who the one true God of Israel is. But before that scene, the Bible talks about the king of Israel at that time, Ahab. And Ahab marries a foreign wife named Jezebel. And Jezebel did not serve the God of the Bible. She served Baal, a foreign god. And she loved Baal. And she led Ahab to follow Baal. And then Ahab led a nation to follow Baal. And so Elijah is the prophet of God. And the Bible says he calls the entire nation to the top of that mountain. To decide that one day who the one true God of Israel is. And he asks the nation of Israel one question. And the response is the saddest in all the Bible. Because this is what he says. He says to the nation of Israel. If God is the Lord, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. And the Bible says this, but the people remained silent. They wouldn't answer. Why wouldn't they answer? Because they were divided. They loved and liked the things of Baal. They also loved and liked the things of God. And they didn't know what to do because they liked both of them. So since they didn't know what to do, what did they do? They just stood there and didn't answer. And that's who we are as followers in America. We just stand there not answering. We stand with our voices quiet. We stand divided. And the Bible says if that's you, then you're in trouble. 
because Mary was not distracted. Look at verse 39. Her sister, Martha's sister Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Now, what was Martha distracted from that Mary wasn't? Was it Jesus himself? No. Now, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, but that's not what she was doing. Anybody can sit at the feet of Jesus. She was listening to what he said. Martha was distracted from the very words of God. What is the simplest definition of Jesus in the Bible? It's in John 1. The Bible talks about in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then later on in John chapter 1 it says the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ is literally the Word of God. And the Word of God is what sustains us as followers of Jesus Christ. It's what transforms us. It is what saves us. You cannot be saved by watching someone do good works. You cannot be saved because someone loves you or even if someone prays for you. Do you know how and only how you can be saved? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You cannot be saved apart from the word of God. It is impossible. So we are saved. We're transformed. Our lives are forever made right with God through his word, which is Jesus Christ. And the one thing that Martha was distracted from was the very words of God. And what do you think Satan wants to distract us from 2,000 years later? The very word of God. Because the word of God is something that will not fail you. It will be a rock. It can be your foundation when everything else in your life crumbles. His word will stand forever. But yet, we don't long and desire for his word. Because why? We're distracted by all the things of this world. So why do we need to fall in love with the Word of God? Why do we even read the Bible in the first place? Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 19. David says this. He says in verse 7, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise the simple. The commands of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. We read the Bible because the Bible is God literally speaking to us one on one and His words when He speaks them are perfect and trustworthy. They are right. They are radiant. They illuminate our lives. But they also bring joy to our life. I want you to think about the man who wrote this, David. Now David, at the end of his life, is telling us about the Word of God. But his life was anything but perfect. He sinned many times and fell away from the Lord. And when he sinned, he sinned good. He sinned big time. But he had kids who rebelled from him and treated him harshly. He ran from his life over and over and over again. He lost those who were close to him. But in the end of his life, after all is said and done, he says, what got me through, what is perfect and true, and what brought me joy was the word of God. It made my heart rejoice. And I know some of you, many of you are thinking, Well, I wish that was true for my life. But when I come to the Word of God, it does not bring joy to me. When I read the Word of God, I get nothing out of it. I can read it and I can forget what I read the second I walk away. In fact, when I read the Word of God, my mind goes a thousand places and it even bores me. Why? I can tell you why. Because you're distracted. And because your mind is filled with the things of this world rather than the things of God. That's why. 
And because when you come to this word trying to eat it and to fill your stomach, your stomach's already full, so you just push the word of God away. That's what happens to us because our appetite is for the world rather than for God. Later on in Psalm 19, it says that this word is sweeter than honey. But that's not what it tastes like to us. We have to change our appetite. I can remember when I was growing up, every meal that I ever ate in my house growing up always had two things. It always had meat and bread. Every meal I ever ate. And I loved bread growing up. My mom used to cook a lot. She was a home economics teacher, so she would cook bread every meal. And she would make sourdough bread, and she would make yeast rolls, and she would make all the things that I loved, and I loved bread. The only problem later on in life, when I got a little bit older and my metabolism shifted, when I ate that bread, guess what happened? I got fat. That's what happened. So I had to stop eating so much bread. And I can remember the first time Paige brought wheat bread. Not only did it look like cardboard, it tasted like cardboard. And I took one bite of that, and I was like, oh my God, I cannot do this. But she kept buying it. She would buy two different loaves of bread. She would buy her loaf of bread. She would eat wheat bread, and I would eat white bread. And we went on like that forever. But eventually, I started eating wheat bread. Because I was getting fat. It was the only choice I had. But now, many years later, do you know that I cannot eat white bread? I cannot eat a yeast roll. I cannot eat sourdough bread. I cannot eat, I love cinnamon rolls. I cannot eat a cinnamon roll. You know why? Because it makes me sick. It makes my stomach hurt. And because it makes my stomach hurt, I don't even like the taste of it anymore. What happened? I changed my appetite. I changed what I desired. Now, it didn't happen overnight. I wish it had happened overnight. It took a while. And here's what's going to happen to you. If you go home and you try to devour the Word of God and you just read as much as you can read over and over and over again, it's not going to change your appetite. Because what you've got to do first is you've got to purge yourself of what you're feasting on right now. And what you're feasting on right now is not the Word of God. It's the things of this world. It's Netflix when you binge it. It's your phone when you can't put it down. It's your iPad that you go to bed with. Whatever it is, I could stand here all day and you could as well. All the things that distract you and all the things of this world you feed on over and over and over again and you come to the Word and it's like, and you walk away. You have to change. But before you can consume the Word of God, you've got to empty yourself of the world. Earlier this spring, we fasted. And why did we fast? I told you we fast. It's so that we can empty ourselves and fill ourselves with the things of God. That's why we fast. And we fasted from food. We didn't eat for a week. A lot of you did that. But I would bet money that for most of you in this room, it would be harder for you to go without TV than to go without food. I bet many of you would rather not eat food for a week than cut off the television set for a week. And what does that say? It says we're distracted is what it says. And so for you to fall in love with the word of God, you've got to empty yourself of the love for the world. You cannot have it both ways. The things of God and the things of this world will not coexist. They will not. If you don't believe me, just read the Bible. It says it over and over and over again. So how can you do this? Four simple things. I believe if you will do this, your appetite will start to change. Number one, you need to memorize the Word of God. 
That's why we are memorizing the Word of God. That's why we're memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. You need to memorize the Word of God. I tell you this verse all the time. My life verse is Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. In Psalm 1, all it says is, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the Word, the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates both day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season, and whose leaf never withers. What is the one who's blessed? What does he do? He meditates on the word both day and night. Now, how can you meditate on the word both day and night? Well, I will be willing to bet you that most of you are not taking your Bible and walking down the street or walking to work like this every day of your life. I hope you're not driving to work that way. So the only way you can meditate on the Word of God is to have the Word of God in you. And how's the only way you can have the Word of God in you? It's to memorize the Word of God. What does the word meditate mean? It just means to think about. That's all it means. To think about the Word of God. How often are you thinking about the Word of God? Probably not very much. Why? Because you don't know the Word of God. And you don't have it in front of you all the time, every day of your life. But if you memorize it, then you can think about it. So that's why we memorize the Word of God, so the Word of God is in us, so we can meditate on it, so that we can think about it. So memorize the Word of God. The second thing you need to do is you need to pray the Word of God. The one thing, if you want to change your prayer life exponentially that you can do is to pray the Word of God. Jesus says, you can pray according to my will and ask for anything and it will be granted unto you. Anything. So when you pray, how do you pray the will of God? The Word of God is the will of God. And if you pray the Bible, you are praying the will of God. And if you pray the will of God according to Jesus Christ, ask me for anything and I'll give it to you. Anything. So how do you pray the Word of God? You take a verse of Scripture and you just pray it over yourself, over your family, over a situation, over someone. Pray the Word of God. And if you memorize the Word of God, guess what you can do? You can pray the Word of God. You can meditate on the Word of God. Third thing you need to do is you need to live the word of God. That just means when you read it, guess what you need to do? Obey it. Do what it says. Live out the word of God. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12. In Romans 12 too, he says this. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. If you will let God transform you through His Word, then everything in your life will change. Later on in Luke 11, Jesus says, But even more blessed are all who hear the Word of God and obey it. If you want to be blessed by God, if you want your life to be transformed and used by God, then you have to live the Word of God. So memorize the Word of God, pray the Word of God, live the Word of God. But then a fourth thing you must do if you're a follower of Jesus Christ is you must share the Word of God. You must share it. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The Word of God. Think about the Great Commission. We talk about the Great Commission all the time. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then the next verse, verse 20, says this. It says, and teach them my commands. What are his commands? It's the word. And he is commanding you to teach those commands to others. And you can't do that unless you know it. And unless you're in love with it. So memorize the word of God. Pray the word of God. Live the word of God and share the word of God. And one last thing, just very practical. That will help you. 
fall in love with the Word of God. And that is when you read the Word of God, you need to journal, you need to write down what God is saying. I've told you this a lot when I teach you about praying. I believe the one thing that will change your prayer life is to write down your prayers. Because if you're like me, and you probably are, when you pray, you get distracted and your mind goes a thousand places. But when you write out your prayers, it's a lot harder for your mind to go a thousand places because you're having to think about what you're writing down on a piece of paper. So write out your prayers to God. But not only write out your prayers to God, that's what you're saying to Him. Write back what He's saying to you. And what is He saying to you? Whatever's in His Word. And when you pray and when you read the Bible, those aren't two distinct things. Those are one and the same. You should pray and read the Word of God together. Because you're speaking to God and God's speaking to you. And if you will write those two things down, that will keep you engaged, not only in prayer, but in reading Scripture. So what does that look like? Well, for me, this week, when I was reading God's Word, Luke chapter 10, all I did was write down one word because God hit me in the face with one word. I wrote down the word, distracted. I wrote that word down. And then I started writing out all the distractions in my life that week. And there were a bunch of them. And then I realized what God's call on my life was as a pastor. Acts chapter 6 says, as a pastor, I'm only responsible for two things. The ministry of the word and prayer. That's it. But guess what I do as a pastor? A lot of other things. And so I just wrote down, I'm sorry. I just repented of my sin. And I wrote those, that's all I wrote down was distracted, the distractions, and I'm sorry. That's it. It's not difficult. I didn't have to write down, rewrite this text. I just wrote down what God said to me. And is it going to be different for you? Of course it's going to be different for you. But just write down what God is saying. Now, you can do this on an index card. You can do it on a piece of paper. I do it in an app. I have a journaling app called Day One Journaling App. That's how I journal. But if you will journal when you read God's Word, it will change the way you read it. I can look back on my life and I can look at the times where I'm closest to God and the times I'm closest or furthest away from God. And you know the one constant is the journaling. When I journal and I write down what I say to God and what God says to me, I'm closer to God every single time. But when I stop journaling, guess what happens to me? I'm further away from God. Try it. And just see what God does. Now, is it going to be hard in the beginning? Probably. But just keep doing it. Keep reading God's word and feasting on his word. And let his word transform your life. And let the distractions and the clutter and the things of this world pass. And God will change you. But not just you. He will change the world through you. Because there is power in his word. Power. One thing. Every time I travel, especially to countries that are being persecuted and Christians who are suffering, one thing that always overwhelms me every time I'm in those countries is the love that those persecuted Christians have for God's Word. And how different that is from my life as a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to watch just a very short video. And this is about a group of believers in China. 
And you'll notice if you watch carefully, the video's not good, but watch carefully. There's a suitcase in the middle of the room. And some Christians from America ship Chinese Bibles to these Chinese believers. And I just want you to watch. But I really want you to listen. To their response for these Bibles. Watch the screen. us go to the Bible like that. One believer holding that book in her hand said, this is what we needed most. Not money. Not a new car. Not a house. But just the word of God. what we need most whether we realize it or not bow with me Lord we thank you for your words that sustain us that help us Lift us up out of the pit. Lord, forgive us for the distractions that keep us from the thing we need most. Lord, I just pray for these next few moments that you would use them to speak to our heart. I just pray that you would minister in this place. Lord, I pray that your word would go places that mine cannot. Touch the depths of soul. Just draw us near to you. We just pray for you to move. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.